Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to keep working on some of these recovery principles and, and and look at how God moves within the midst of it. And tonight I'm going to talk about being ready. Um, you know, as we, you know, I I first initially started getting sober through AA and NA. Um, that was the basis of my recovery. That's the foundation of my recovery. I'm still a firm believer that that's a, a very important piece for people that are struggling with substance abuse, that it's a very important part of my testimony, and, and it still serves and does what no other system has ever done before it, and that's helped the most broken of people find hope. You know, and, and through there, you know what? I was an atheist when I first showed up and I didn't believe in God and I thought that all the spiritual mumbo jumbo was nonsense. And, uh, God started to move in me and, you know, and the, and the principles of that program started to pierce and plant seeds in me even when I, I didn't know that that was taking place. And, you know, and, and what I've come to learn as a Christian is that God's word does not come back void. You know, and there's so much of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that was written over 80 years ago that is really the Word of God that has been taught to people, and they don't even know that they're they're getting taught the Word of God. And it really has produced fruit in millions and millions of people, and even in people that don't know that that that's where that that power is coming from. You know, and eventually I came to this understanding that I should be dead. There is no logical explanation why I'm alive. I, I've tried to kill myself. I've, I've used enough drugs to, to kill small animals, maybe a couple large ones. And, um, I've been bent on, you know, destroying my life and, and hoping that there was days that I did not wake up and I would wake up and I would be angry that I had to, to live another day, you know, and <clears throat> coming to this understanding that there is something out there. You know, things that I, I've come to understand is that AA got me to God, but my sin brought me to Jesus. You know, and the Word of God began to work in my life. And, and I, I believe that the years that I spent in recovery were preparing me to walk into the door of the church one day and, and come to this understanding that in my best efforts, I have no chance to change myself. You know, and... You know, and that's really the, the principle in, in, that you find in step one is that I have to admit that I have this problem and that no amount of my strength will ever change that. And that my life is completely unmanageable. Now, it could be drugs and alcohol. It, it could be pornography. It could be sex. It could be food. It could be finances. It could be insecurity. It could be fear. It could be anger. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of the things that are destroying our lives and that we keep trying to fix it. You know, we, we go to counselors and we may have tried the medications and we try church and we get a Bible verse and yet I'm still trying to do it my way in the name of Jesus. And what I've come to learn is really I'm trying to do it in my way and get Jesus to co-sign what I'm trying to do in the name of Tom and Jesus is my sidekick. And that's not how this stuff works. You know, he is God, he is Lord, he is master, and I am a servant, I am a son, and I need to lay my life down before him. Otherwise, 
me trying to do it my way with a little bit of Jesus or a lot of Jesus, some church, a lot of church, Bible reading every day, prayer every day, recovery every day, I still find myself doing the same things that I continue to do even when I get a little bit of reprieve. I somehow find myself right back smack and dab in the middle of the things that I say I don't want to do anymore, and I am like drawn to it like a magnet because I'm still trying to run the show. Which leads me that if I know that I can't do it and I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable, I have to believe that God is at work. You know, and because God is at work, then I begin to find hope in that. Just because it's not going the way I think it should now does not mean that God is not at work. You know, the principle that we see in step two is that I came to believe that a power greater than myself, which I call God, which I believe is Jesus, can restore me to a sane mind. What is that? That means I stop doing the same crazy stuff that I keep doing. But I have come to believe that because Jesus is a restoring God, he brought restoration to the earth. He laid his life down. He shed his blood to bring restoration between us and the Father, bring communion, bring connection. That Jesus has this ability to restore the most broken of things. You try to figure out what the most broken thing in your life is, and if you lay that thing at the feet of Jesus and you say, Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate this. I don't like this. I want it to change and you begin to do it his way, he can fix the most broken of things. And what that does is that gives me hope in a very loving God. See, what we see in the principle of step three is that I have to turn my will and my life over. And I know that I'm the only control freak in the room and and that none of you have OCD and control issues. That's just me. You know, that I constantly try to run the show of my own life. And I try to get Jesus to be my co-pilot. And I'm constantly taking me in places that I don't want to go. And he says, that's not a good idea. And I'm like, Jesus, it'll work. Let's go. And he's like, I'm going to get out here. I'll be here when you're done. And then I say, where'd you go, Jesus? And he's like, I told you to go this way. And you went that way. See, my will is my problem. Your will is your problem. Our will is the epitome of why we continue to sin, is that I want to do it my way. And then I have to lay that thing down at Jesus' feet. See, I cannot lay that at Jesus' feet if I don't believe that he's going to restore, because if I don't believe he's going to restore, I jump back into the driver's seat because I need power and I try to fix it. And then I get unmanageable again, and then I find myself coming to try to believe that God is going to do something but then I don't believe that he loves me, so then therefore he's not going to do it, so then I try to fix it again. See, this is a very key principles that I've come to know. And it's like shoots and ladders. You know, and some of you have heard this before, and you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great, and wee, back to the beginning. You know, you're doing great, you're doing great, wee, back to the beginning. You're trying, you're working on it, you're surrendering, you're resting thoughts, wee, back to the beginning. Why? Because my will keeps trying to take control. My will keeps trying to think that I know what's best. And Jesus is like, nah, nah, son. That's not what we're doing. 
you know, God has been giving me some revelations of the late, and that there are certain things in my life that there is no way that you have convinced me that this was going to be in my future. Fifteen years ago, you would tell me that I would be a pastor. There's no way that you're going to convince me of that. No way. That I would be a Christian. No way. That I would own a dog. No way. And some of you that have been around me long enough, I'm a cat person, diehard cat person, have been a cat person my entire life. If you would have told me that I wouldn't own a cat at this present state and I would have a dog, it's not ever going to happen. That I would take it and father a young black man. I don't see that happening in my future. There are so many things that God is doing in our lives that we don't know how that's going to work out. And we don't even know it's coming. And yet he begins to take us in different places. And we like, no, I don't want to go that way. He's like, no, 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 we got to go this way. And he takes us by the hand and he starts leading us in this direction. And we've been at some of these crucial points. I know everybody in this room has been at some of these crucial points where we pull back from them and we find ourselves right back smack dab in the middle of the thing that we don't want to be doing anymore. And we're like, how did I get here again? It's because at this moment, I got so afraid of what that next step was that I took my will back and I started using my coping mechanisms and my thinking And I find myself right back in the midst of a very painful and broken scenario. And I'm like, why? Why am I here? And we're all guilty. I am so guilty of this. You know, and this is where, for me, Christianity and recovery explode. and makes the most sense. Because all of this stuff that I'm talking about that's found in the principles and in, in the, in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous is all biblical. You had a couple of Christians sit around 80 years ago trying to figure out how to help the most broken of people that everybody's given up on. They just stuck them in the Salem Islands and gave up. And they said, we're going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we're going to mix it together. And we're going to try to do it this way. We're going to go try and help the people that no one else wants to help. And in the midst of it, they started to stay sober. You know, through the years, I've come to learn how much Christianity has been an influence in Alcoholics Anonymous. Even though it seems like it's not there now, it's still always been there and still always will be there. The Bill and Bob would go to this lady's house, I forget what her name is at the moment, and have a prayer meeting before they would go out on the street and try to evangelize or try to bring people into recovery. And they would bring them into their own homes. And they would understand that they couldn't force them to accept religion. And they would just love on them in the midst of it and let them know that there is a place and a solution if they wanted it. And they would lead them through these principles and lead them through these steps. But at some point, they would have to get on their knees and say this prayer and asking God in to help them to change. You know, we continue to try to run the show and see... You know, 
Alcoholics Anonymous goes through and does this moral inventory where you, you write out these things that continue to, to be your shortcomings and and how you continue to trip over things, you know, and then you're supposed to share it with a person. And all of us are like, oh, nah, I can't do that. And I get it, and I never thought I could do it either. But eventually I get to this place where I'm tired to keep running back into the things that I say I don't want to do anymore. And it's funny how pain makes us willing. Pain makes us willing to face the fears that we've been running from since we were little. You know, and each one of us has an area that that brings forth pain, and we keep trying to manage it our way because we think that we're going to be geniuses and figure it out today. But what I've come to understand is the problem is really sin. There's really only one solution, and that's repentance and transformation that comes through the gospel. That he gives me his righteousness, and he takes upon him my sin, and there's this transformation that begins to take place in me, that my heart becomes awakened to who he really is. It turns from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and then I begin this process. And that so often, people do their sinner's prayer and they think they're done. And to me, that's the starter's pistol that went off and I got a marathon to run for the rest of my life. And so often, we're like, well, I got Jesus, I go to church, I believe in God, and we stop. And that's just the bare minimum. See, the Bible is full of all this truth and wisdom and, and history of how man continues to try to do it their way apart from God, and and they fail. How many times have I tried to do it my way apart from God and wonder why I fall? How many times do we do it? It's the the basic human nature to take our will back and and allow sin in our lives because we think that that's going to be a good idea. And then we come to this understanding that that's not a good idea, and I need saving once again, that we work our salvation out through fear and trembling. You know, why do we fear and tremble? Because if I do it my way, I'm going to end up in some places I don't want to go. See, I have to be ready. You know, step six is that I'm entirely ready for God to remove these defects of character. You know, and as I'm preparing for this, and, and it's one lesson right after another. It's been about six years now, I think. Roughly six years, I was teaching this very same lesson, you know, in another place. And God says, are you entirely ready to let go of your defective character, Tom, as you're sitting up there trying to tell everybody else that they need to do it? And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're not fun right now. Six years ago, I was probably 300 pounds. And through the conviction of that moment, I started working on my weight. And I got myself down to about 230. And at some point, I stopped doing it the way that's working. And I start letting that car coast. Oh, you know, it's no big deal if I eat this. It's no big deal if I don't go to gym today. It's no big deal. All of a sudden, boom, back to 300 pounds. I find myself in this roller coaster have for over a decade that I go from 300 pounds down to about 240, 230 back up to 300, up to 320, down to 350, and I keep doing this. Why? Because there's something still in there that I still got to work on. Sometimes I, I figure out a piece of it, and then I, I start working on it, and then the thing slides out of control because I, I let go of the gas that that thing needs. 
See, for me, drugs and alcohol were almost easy at this point because it's complete abstinence. For food, I have to have discipline. Food, I have to, to have this understanding that I can't go in certain places, and yet it's still right there. Like, I understand that I shouldn't go to the bar. I understand that I shouldn't go to certain parts of the city because there's drug activity. I understand that. Can I walk in those areas today and have no problem? Absolutely. But food's this other thing that it's always there. And yet I give in. Like, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Woo! Shoots and ladders for Tom back at the beginning. What's still in there? I know for me that when I go through stress, food becomes my coping mechanism because I've laid down all most of all the rest of it. You know, when I have high anxiety, I need to go eat something, and it turns the noise off. So then when I, I let this pattern continue, and I don't let Jesus in there, I'm not turning to Jesus in this way, 5, 10, 15, 100 pounds comes back. You know, and that here I am, entirely ready again. Am I? I don't know, Jesus, are we? You know, he, he talks to me a lot. I mean, if you've been around me, I, I talk about that I need to work on my weight, but yet I don't move. How often do we talk about the things that we need to be working on, but we don't really put no work in it? We just want, poof, better in Jesus' name. And we wonder why our prayers aren't working. And he's like, I wonder why you're not working. Because every one of us has an area that Jesus has already spoken to and says, hey, you need to stop doing it this way and you need to start doing it this way. Every single one of us has that area. And yet we keep doing it our way and we keep praying a certain way and we keep wanting Jesus to do it our way. And Jesus is like, no, it's going to happen this way when you finally surrender and let go. And we're like, no, 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 son, let's do it my way. And yet we find ourselves stuck in the thing again. Yeah, this is a fun message. I'm glad I came to church on Friday night. See, each one of us has to hit that new bottle. But see, you know, what I've taught, was taught through AA is I can keep digging. I'm good at digging holes. I'm good at making new messes. I'm good at destroying everything I touch. I have a superpower. See, what helped me get over the hump initially when I was coming back and trying to get sober again and I, I find myself turning back to the church again is that I knew without a shadow of doubt that I have no idea what I'm doing. I am such a genius that I know enough to make me dangerous. You know, I've accumulated time sober in the past. I've accumulated time trying to follow Jesus in the past. And yet somehow I find myself, woo, back at the beginning again. Why? Because there's something I don't want to deal with or I don't want to do with Jesus' name. See, I, I find myself lucky in this sense because I'm an addict and alcoholic. Because if I choose to go the opposite direction, full steam ahead like I have in the past, I know there's a very high possibility that I'm going to die. And see, most Christians don't realize that their wages of sin is death. See, for an addict and an alcoholic, I know very clearly that the wages of sin is death because I've lost a lot of friends. See, see to now, today, you know, food... Is it going to kill me? Yeah, someday it could potentially kill me. Absolutely. You know, I'm getting older. I'm 44 now. If I keep doing what I'm doing, there's a very good chance that I'm going to develop some things that I can't recover from. You know, but you know what? God talked to me about this 10 years ago. Just like those of us that smoke, 
I don't care about smoking. It's not going to kill me. But yet it has a very high potential to kill me. You know what? I don't care that drugs and alcohol are going to kill me. Why? Because I don't care. You can't get me to care about something that I don't care about. See, this is where Jesus comes in and he starts to light something in on the inside of us that we begin to care about things that we didn't care about. And that number one thing that we used to not care about is ourselves. See, that's one thing that recovery gave me is I now care about myself. See, for the majority of my life, I did not care. And that's why I was reckless and took tons of risks in sexual areas. That's why I didn't care and and put substances in my body that I didn't think I would ever take. You know, as a young teenage man, I was an athlete. I never really did anything too crazy. If you would have told me that I would smoke cigarettes and smoke crack and do heroin, I would have been like, no way, I wouldn't do that stuff. And yet, through enough sin and enough pain, I found myself in some dark places. You know, as a young man, I had a moral compass, you know, and that I wouldn't have done a lot of things. You know, but I found myself doing a lot of things that I said I would never do or I never thought in a million years that I would do. See, are we ready? Are we ready to stop trying to figure it out and do it our way? Are we ready to surrender and do it His? Do we realize that that's not going to be easy? That whatever it is that we're struggling with right now, it's the next few months, if we're really ready to surrender, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of hard work. And yet, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to eat right. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I sound like a two-year-old that took my bottle away. And yet, I'm a grown man still acting like a child. But the Bible tells me when I was a child, I did childish things. And when I became a man, I put those things behind me. But yet, there's times that I still act like a child because I want what I want. My will continues to come back and be my problem. You know, am I ready? Are you ready? You know, what is the Holy Spirit talking to you about tonight? You know, are you ready to give that thing to him? You know, are you ready to repent? Are you ready to to surrender? Are you ready to ask him in, knowing that he's going to mess it up a little bit? See, sometimes we like Jesus compartmentalized. We want to bring him in a little bit, but we don't want to let him all the way in because he might do something that I don't like. But if he's Jesus and he loves me, shouldn't I let him into those areas? You know, the difficulty of some of these things is we've been doing them a long time. You know, I I struggled. Struggled recovery. I, I couldn't grasp it. I would get sober for a minute and I would try to do it. I would try to, to overcome certain areas and I'd find myself slipping right back in the midst of it. You know, and as God started to, to peel me back, you know, in the one song it says, peel me, you know, and as he peels back our layers, you know, you know, drugs and alcohol are just a small part of the problem. My thinking is most of the problem. You know, but as I began to, to get and stay sober, what I found to realize that I have a huge sexual addiction that needs to be addressed. No, 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 we don't talk about that. I'm just here to get sober. You know, and eventually my sexual addiction kept taking me back out again. You know, and what I come to realize is that I can't keep living this way. You know, so when I got sober last time, this thing got laid down and said, all right, I'm, I'm going to stay out of relationships for one year because that's the AA suggestion. It had nothing to do with Jesus. I was not trying to be celibate. I was not trying to be pure. 
It was just the fact that I knew that every time that I enter into a relationship, even if I don't have feelings, I find myself falling back and going back, whoo, back to the beginning again. You know, and what I came to learn as I started to work on the sexual area, that was way harder than working on the substance abuse area. And then as I started to get a little bit of freedom in the sexual area, God started to expose all the codependency that was underneath it. I have relationship issues. Any of us have relationship issues in here? You know, and sex is easy. Relationships are a mess. I don't know how to communicate and interact with human beings. Oh, wait, let's have sex. You know, and that's what we've been doing, some of us have been doing since we were teenagers. I don't know if I like you, let's have sex. We'll figure it out later. You know, and it's like, I've been doing that since I could remember. You know, and then Jesus is pulling back that, and then I start to look at, I don't know how to function as a human being. You take drugs and alcohol and sex away, I literally don't know what I'm doing. I'm an exposed nerve in a sea of craziness. And God started to work on my relationships, one with me, one with him, and one with the people around me. And I realized that I'm a very controlling, angry, controlling person. When I don't get my way, I get angry. And then when I get my way, I'm still angry because then you keep doing what I want you to do. And God started to peel back the anger and started to say, hey, Tom, you need to have grace. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Did we say that before dinner? You know, like I literally did not understand grace, even though he'd been giving it to me for a while. I did not know how to extend that to somebody else because I did not know how to receive that from God. He'd forgiven me, but yet I'm still like, nah, you can't love me. You know, and I really don't understand it. I really struggled with it. Like, you can't love me until I start performing better. And people would say, that's not how this works. The Bible would tell me that's not how this works. I'd sing songs that tell me that's not how that works. But it was programmed in my mind that if I don't behave a certain way, then you're not going to love me. That is in the deepest roots of who I am. And I had to unlearn that and realize that it's not about my performance, that God loves me 100% all the time. That even if I behave better today, He doesn't love me more. And even if I screw up today, He doesn't love me less. And I'm like, that's not how this works. And that's how Jesus works. And some of us still struggle with that basic concept that His grace loves us, and that's what empowers us to change. His grace is sufficient. What does that mean? He is empowering us to change from the inside out. It has nothing to do with pretty much about performance as it does about identity and understanding that He loves us. He's adopted us into His family and He'll never stop loving us even when we continue to misbehave because it's not about behavior because we didn't have to get better but get Jesus. He loved us in the midst of our mess and we began this process of change but that at some point we took back our will and found ourselves back in the mess again. Guess what? He shows up in the pig pen. He brings back the prodigal son. Back to who? The father. Isn't that what Jesus does? He goes back into our mess. It says, come here, I love you again. You're so precious. Oh, you're going to fix me? You know, God wants to come into our mess, but we're like, no, you can't love me in here. It's I'm ugly, I'm dirty. And yet, there's this transformation that takes place that when we repent of our sins, that we take upon His righteousness. 
It's not about our performance. It's not I perform and get righteousness. Why? The Bible says my performance, my righteousness is still like filthier acts. So if it's really about just Jesus, then I can stop trying to fix it. I can release control to him and say, I'm ready, I'm done, I'm surrendered. And I have to resist this opportunity that is always going to be there. Why? The enemy comes at opportune times to try to hand me back my fleshly desires and say, no, I can't do it my way. Why? I destroy everything I touch. I can't go here. Why? Because if I go there, I'm going to be tempted beyond my ability to come back at this state in the game. You know, what I love about AA and what I found to come true in my Christianity, that it tells me that once I've done this work, that I can literally walk anywhere with confidence and not be tempted beyond my ability to restrain myself, and that I have no desire to sin in that way ever again. And what I've come to know is that's true, except for food. I continue to find myself belly up to the buffet. You know, I have work to do. I don't come up here trying to tell you that I got it all figured out. You know, what I have come to learn is that this does work. Why can't I do it again? There's something in me that still needs to be surrendered. There's something in me that still needs to be repented of. There's something in me that needs way more Jesus. You know, and isn't that the game? that, That we are transformed into the image of Christ's likeness. That it's not about overcoming one area or two areas or three areas. It's about being transformed into his image. So if I have an area that doesn't represent his image, then I need to say this needs to be brought to the forefront, although this is the thing that I usually try to hide because that's the thing that I still find comfort in because sin is still pleasurable. If we got the consequences of sin instantly, we would resist it more. However, in God's grace, some of us have received consequences to our sin almost instantly. Oh, that's karma. No, that's reap what you sow. That's God moving in certain situations that allow us to see that if I keep going in this direction, it's going to get worse than just this. Because some of us have been in some really bad territory, and he's delivered us out of that. And sometimes when we you know, go back into certain areas, we get real close to the edge of going real far into the darkness. And he's like, no, 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 let's bring this back. And sometimes we need a spanking. You know, sometimes we need repercussions to our actions to awaken us, to help us to see, wait, whoa, whoa, I don't want to go this way anymore. I know where this path goes. And then we repent and we surrender and we start our path back towards Jesus. Oh, wait, he met us there in the first place. It's not like i got to behave to get to Jesus. He was there in the pig pen with me in the first place. He never left. I was talking about it earlier, and it's so true, and some of you have heard it before, is that he never leaves us or forsakes us as a blessing and a curse. That when we're walking with him, that he's with us, and we know he's with us, and, oh, you know, I have favor. I am a chosen child of God. And then when I'm trying to sin, I'm like, Jesus, leave me alone. I want to be okay over here. And he's right there saying, I love you. And we're like, no, 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 go fix China or something. Just, I want to be, just, I need a day off. Leave me alone. And he's like, I love you. 
love you. You know, and we've been doing some of this stuff for years. It doesn't get uprooted overnight. You know, I, specifically in the area of unforgiveness, right? If you don't forgive and he doesn't forgive you, that, oh, I got to forgive. How many of us have instantly forgave at that moment? None of us. Why? Because I want what I want. But see, I've carried resentment of certain situations and certain individuals since I was a little kid. You know, my dad left when I was two. My mom got into relationships with very abusive alcoholic men. I got molested by one of my mom's friend's sons. So by the time I was 10, I was already screwed up. So you had a couple more decades of really screwed up on top of new actions and new decisions of my own. I'm a hot mess. Well, you need to forgive this person. I'm never forgiving that person. Some of us in here have said that. I'm never forgiving. And yet I carry that around inside of me. What I came to understand is that he first loved me. He forgave me when I didn't change. He extended grace to me when I didn't behave. And that started to mess with me from the inside out. So now I've come to this understanding that I need to forgive someone. I have literally thought hundreds, if not thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of vengeful thoughts towards certain individuals. And what I would do to them if I had an opportunity. And I say one prayer, God help me to forgive so-and-so. Poof, I'm better. I've literally sowed seed negatively into that ground tens of hundreds of thousands of times, and I'm expecting one prayer to undo decades of thoughts. I need to start bringing these thoughts captive, and I need to bring them back to Jesus, and I need to start speaking things over that situation that Jesus can come in. Do I need to speak as many prayers as I've sowed seeds of vengeance? No, I don't believe so because God's more powerful than me. But I do need to say, God, help me to forgive this person. No, I want him dead. Like there's instant transaction. No, I need to begin to bring God, help me to let go. Help me to let go. The consequences are up to you. I need to be willing. And right now we're back to the problem, my will. My will is the problem. So if I keep surrendering my will, I have a better chance of following Jesus rather than, no, I think it should be this way. No, I think it should be that way. He's trying to get to the root of who we are, and that's our will. I believe that we need to to sow seed as far as prayer and and Bible verses and, and study. But I also need to believe that Jesus is going to work a miracle in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my trial, if I let him. So often, he's right there and saying, hey, let me help. I'm like, no, 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 I got this. You know, even following him sometimes, it's like, no, 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 I got this. You know, and we get drier and drier and drier. And and because why? We're not doing, we're not in his will, but yet we're supposedly following him. You know, and 
We have to learn to release control, which is easier said than done. I think one of the hardest principles in, in all of recovery and, and even in Christianity is let go and let God. Be still and know that I'm God. How easy is it for us to be still? Some of us can't even sleep. Our mind is so racing, such filled with anxiety, such you know thoughts of trying to undo the past and what's going on in the future. Oh my God, the future. Oh my goodness, I got to worry about my future. That our minds are just racing, and we're like, God, fix it, and yet we we just run around. It's like wind-up toys. You know, that we have to let go of certain situations. Jesus, I'm going to surrender this. We wait about three seconds and we take it back again. You know, I think literally we got to nail these things to the cross and, and say, I can't do it anymore. And that's hard for us. Some of us that have some severe prideful issues that I can't figure this out. Now I'm going to make it work. Especially if we've invested a lot amount of time in it. We want to make it work because we are afraid to make the way it's going to make me look. And what I have to do is keep putting that thing at its feet and believe that the blood of Jesus is going to cover that sin. Whether it's my sin or their sin, it doesn't matter. I have to believe that the blood of Jesus is covering all sin. And that I have to take his hand and say, lead me your direction, not my own. You know, I believe, you know, that God is patient with us. Otherwise, we'd be dead. You know, if the wages of sin are are given to us instantly, none of us would be alive. But he's patient. You know, he knocks on that door. He's trying to get in there. Are you ready? Are you ready to let me in? Let me put everything away before I let Jesus in. Like, he knows the stuff that we're trying to stash. You know, he's waiting patiently for us to let him into certain areas of our lives and and say, all right, Jesus, I'm tired. And that was one of the main keys for me. You know, especially in my recovery in drugs and alcohol and sex and, and a variety of other things is that I was tired. I don't believe that consequences will stop us. I watch lots of people with the threat of going back to prison or going to prison or losing their kids and they keep going in the wrong direction. You know, and why? It's, we're trying to, we're trying to manage it still. You know, it's when I finally get tired that I let him start to lead me because I realize that I'm exhausted in my efforts to manage. You know, and I hope that I don't have to develop, you know, heart disease and, and other various, you know, diseases that come with, you know, excessive weight gain. But maybe my brilliant self needs one of those to get my attention. I know that I had to go in and out of jail a few times before I realized it's time to get sober. I know I, I almost killed a woman before I realized that I, I am not ready to be in relationships. You know, this is my story. You know, I'm just trying to expose and be transparent to you about the difficulties of my life and what I've had to do to get Jesus into certain areas to to help me to overcome. You have your story. Maybe some of these stories that I've told are similar to yours. Maybe you understand it. Maybe you're grasping it. Or you have a completely different story, but yeah, it's still the same. 
you know, are you tired? Are you tired of doing it your way? Are you tired of, you know, running around feeling crazy? Are you ready to let Jesus into that area? Are you ready to open the door and say, Jesus, I'm ready? You know, and I don't think that consequence is the thing that is going to help us because as soon as we get by that next consequence, we're right back in the, in the midst of it again. It's when we're tired. I was exhausted. You know, and isn't that what the word tells us what sin will do to us? You know, we'll, we'll wither in the heat. We'll run when no one's chasing us. But yet God comes in and he, he lifts us up. That we don't grow weary. You know, that he somehow sustains us even when we, we don't behave, you know, perfectly. Well, good, because none of us ever will. None of us do. You know, that... I think he's waiting for us in certain areas. We got to be entirely ready to let him in. You know, and anything that's rooted deep, you know, we can't just, you know, kick the head off the dandelion. Why? Because it grows right back, right? You know, if you've ever had a lawn or mowed a lawn, you know that they come home back almost instantly. Like the more you mow, the more you get. And isn't that the same? The more we try to pretend that they're not there, the more things keep popping up in our lives. You know, we got to get to the root system of some of these things. And, and I have not find, found any better tool than using step work. I know that there's lots of other tools. I use other tools. I give you guys books, read this book, do this workbook, read this book, do that workbook. But inevitably, you know, because the steps is the thing that's changed my life so powerfully, you know, at some point, the step work is intermixed in, in most of the stuff that I teach about. Why? Because it transformed me. I didn't think that I was ever, there was no hope for this person. I was the one that was never going to get it. And yet, Jesus had a, this this amazing future for me that I, I would have never accepted. And yet, I got to a place where I was broken and tired enough. And I said, all right, I'm ready to figure out. You know, and I came to church the first time not even wanting Jesus. I was just trying to get sober. You know, and maybe you're here now and you're not like, I'm not ready to do this Jesus stuff completely. I'm just here because I need this little help in this little area. But how long have you been trying to manage that area? How long has that area been out of control for you? And you don't have to answer that to me. That's between you and yourself and Jesus. You know, and and what has Jesus been trying to talk to you about that area? How many times has he tried to to get in there and intersect you and have you do it a different way? That's between you and him. I'm not up here to try to to figure that out. If you want help, get a hold of me and we can can chat. I love having chats. Some of you love having chats with me. I always like to chat. But, you know, I'm convicted. I'll be honest. I mean, I, I got here tonight. And I kind of had an idea because I've been doing this a long time of what where the lessons kind of lie. And I'm like, I think this is going to be the, the lesson about ready. And sure enough, I opened the filing cabinet and I pulled it out. And last week was admit. The week before that was confess. And I pull it out and I'm like, we're going to talk about ready. You know, and I need to get ready. You know, I got some things that I need some Jesus in and I need to stop making excuses. 
you know, and I, I tried to be as transparent as possible to let you know that I, I don't come up here trying to be super holy and got it all figured out. I'm just another sinner, sinner trying to figure out the deal, you know, and, and get more Jesus in my life. So I hope nobody feels, you know, condemned or, or condemnation heaped on them. That was not the point of tonight's message is that we need grace. We need Jesus to move in our lives. And, you know, I, I, need, a, I need a lot of them. You know, so I just want you to feel encouraged. You know, I just want you to know that there is hope. No matter how long you've been going around and around, he is still faithful. He's still right there with us. So I just want you to just bow your heads with me tonight and just take a moment and just ask him in. You don't have to figure it all out tonight. You just have to surrender a little bit and say, Jesus, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of going around and around. I'm tired of finding myself in a new mess. Somehow it's linked to this thing that you keep talking to me about, but I don't want to listen. You know, none of us are perfect. Not a one. Each one of us needs more Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray that you would move in this room tonight. Lord, I pray that you would uproot areas of, of brokenness and insecurity and strongholds, Lord. And I pray that you would loose your grace and bring forth hope into the mind of every individual in this room. Lord, I, I, but I also pray that the practical application of your word means discipline and discipleship, Lord, that we would understand that there's work involved in some of these things, but yet we pray for suddenlies, we pray for miracles, we pray for breakthrough, Lord, and, and we believe that you show up in the midst of these things. Lord, help us to understand that there's times that we need to have self-control and, and discipline and, and arrest thoughts and, and apply your word and to pray and to resist. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would begin to show us, Lord, that you are faithful to us, that you're speaking to us all the time. Help us to hear you. Help us to listen. Help us to surrender. Help us not to be so prideful and stubborn. Lord, we need you. We need you so much to come and give us hope in the midst of the situations and, and help us to, to take these next steps with you that, that seems that fear always gets in the way because we try to control it. So, Lord, help us to release control and to trust you. Lord, help our declaration to be, I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.